Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning. Good morning. I am uh, my name is Jeff, and I like moving all the stuff around so the music team can practice patience and sanctification. <laughs> I know you guys love me. I won't move all these papers. Uh, it's uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I was uh, back there just worshiping with my my family and uh, oh, I go. Hey, Andrew. This this is a dear family to me. So after church, social distancing like swamp it, and uh, I'm happy to see you. Um, we're going to be starting a a new sermon series uh, in a couple of weeks. But uh, the elders uh, asked me to take us through a couple weeks um, talking about generosity. All right. So um, what I would like to do this morning is to focus our hearts, our minds, on the generosity of Jesus. If you have a Bible, you can turn over to first, or excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter eight. Second Corinthians chapter eight. And as you're doing that, tune your ears in. Refuge Church, it's important for us to understand this. Understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ will lead us to lead lives of radical generosity. To the degree that we understand the gospel is the degree that we will be generous. If you believe the gospel, you will be radically generous. But if you are not radically generous, you do not believe the gospel. Here. Before we jump into our passage in 2 Corinthians 8, let's pray and ask for God's blessing in our time. Father, we thank you for the Spirit's presence here among us. We thank you that for those who are in Christ, we don't have to like conjure up the Spirit's presence, but He dwells within the believer. We thank you that because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in our hearts, so now you are here, Spirit. Help us now to just tune our ears, our physical ears and our spiritual ones, to hear what you have to say from your word as the Spirit works in tandem with the word. Not the things that that Pastor Jeff has to say, but the things that you have already plainly stated in your inspired, perfect word. Everything we need to know about life and God. Help us this morning to see a new picture of the gracious, overwhelming generosity of our Savior. And may we, in turn, live lives in the same way. This is Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 8, we see a picture of generosity. We're going to see a call from the Apostle Paul to this church to give uh, to a need in another church, the Church of Jerusalem. He's asking for a collection. So first we're going to see this call to generosity. And he's going to give them kind of the motivation behind a life of radical generosity. And then he's going to give us a model. Alright? So the call to generosity the motivation, why should we even be talking about this? Why is Paul addressing this, and why are we addressing this this morning and next week? 
and then a model. And then we'll kind of break it down from there, all right? So what it says here, I'll just read uh, from about verse 1 to verse 9, all right? This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. But they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this we did not expect, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so should he complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love, our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is God's word. <laughs> Radical generosity manifests the grace of God in our lives and magnifies the glory of God in the world. If we believe the gospel, as we've already said, then we will live lives of radical generosity. It will overflow from our lives. Paul has called the church here to give to a very um, specific need to the church in Jerusalem. They are, they are suffering. They are kind of in the, uh, in the bullseye, as it were, in this time of the growth of the church. And they are in great need financially. There's many reasons for this, perhaps. One of the reasons some theologians say is that when the church first was formed, and they came together and they, at the end of Acts 2, and they, they had all these possessions and they brought together and kind of put them all in one pot to care for one another and said, hey, what, what is mine is yours and vice versa. That might have led to, down the road then, some great needs um, being uh, in their line. We'll talk more about that next week. This call for radical generosity is not something new for the Apostle Paul, right? It's not something new. Um, if you will look at, you don't have to turn that out, but you can do this later, in Acts 20, when he is saying goodbye to some of his dear friends, some of the leaders and fellow um, planters of churches and elders and, and deacons and deaconesses, he's, he's happy to say goodbye to them, and the likelihood here is that he will probably never see them again. And he says some very interesting things to them in Acts 20, uh, 30 verse 32, He's leaving his friends here, and he says to them that he wants to commend them the gospel of God's grace. What is that? That's, that's the gospel of the good news. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. He says, this is able to save you. This is the thing I want you to remember. And he goes on then to explain to them a couple interesting things. He says, I, I want you to know that I coveted no one's silver or gold or their apparel. Now, I was, I was among you, and I was working with my own hands. I wasn't asking for any compensation. At the very end of his exhortation to them, as he's saying goodbye to them, he says, I want you to remember 
The words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So in this moment, when Paul is saying goodbye to his very dear friends, probably never going to see them again, the two things he wants them to remember is, one, to remember the gospel. Remember the gospel, lean into the gospel, believe the gospel, trust the gospel, meditate on the gospel. It's the thing that will sanctify you and take you forward. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than receive. What Paul is saying here is what we've already stated. And it's the big idea of what we're talking about here today. That if you believe the gospel, then it will inevitably lead you to live a life of radical generosity. The two are not separate. They, they go hand in hand. And all the things that Paul can tell them, he says to them, remember the gospel. And if you remember the gospel and you live the gospel, then you will automatically be radically generous people. It will just flow from you. On this passage, Tim Keller says, if you have a spiritual inheritance, it means that you're going to be promiscuously generous with your earthly inheritance. Paul is saying, look, if you understand that this world is not your home and these are not your treasures, then you're not going to be too tied to these things. You're going to use them in light of eternity. This is a message that Paul continues to call them to. But what is his motivation? What is his motivation? This is this is kind of the way Paul writes to the churches. He kind of explains to them the goodness of God, the grace of God, how God has worked in salvation and how he's working out their sanctification. And then he does this thing. He'll say something like this. Therefore, in light of, basically, what I have just said about the grace of God and the goodness of God that has been lavished upon you in Jesus Christ, whether it's in this area of generosity or whether it's in the areas of of purity, or whether it's in the areas of discipline, or whatever it might be, in light of what God has done, now then that should lead you to lead lives that look like Jesus. Right? So Paul has done that in 2 Corinthians. He's talked about Christ being their victory and their treasure. He's talked about these things, and now he's coming to this point in chapter 8 where he's encouraging them to give, and he's continuing to push this motivation for radical generosity. And the motivation for it is in the end of the text that we just read in, in verse 9. For you know, I'm saying all these things to you, I'm asking you to give generously. And here's the motivation. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. If you understand grace, the gospel of grace, you will understand that Jesus Christ gave up the things that he deserved, that only he deserved in heaven. It tells us that he let them go. He did not hold white knuckle to them. He not, did not grasp them. He did not call equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but he gave it up and he came to earth and he put on human flesh. And if that was not enough, then he went to the cross. He was obedient to the point of death, it says. Because nobody kills God. No, he gave up his life willingly with your sin and your redemption in mind. That is the grace that we do not deserve. My sin is not Jesus' fault, but he makes it his responsibility. And Paul is saying, yo, if you understand this, I won't say yo, but if you understand this, then it will lead you to a lifestyle of radical generosity. And here's the problem. When we, when we start to talk about in church settings, areas of generosity, sometimes people say, oh, here we go, we're going to talk about money. All right, well, let's, let's get it done. All right? 
And we will talk about money. Right? And one of the reasons we're going to talk about money is because sometimes that's the reaction people have. But we're talking about something far greater. A lifestyle of generosity that encompasses all of my resources. My time, my, my finances, my energy, all of these things, my giftings, all of these things must come under this lifestyle of radical generosity. And I understand when it comes to areas like this, why we, we kind of have a, when it comes to money in the church. Because perhaps you've had a bad experience uh, in a church before. Where all they did was stand up and talk about you accept Jesus, you're going to go to hell and then give your money. That was just the sermon series, back and forth, back and forth, right? Again, but Jesus spoke more about money, like 20 times more about money than anything else. We're not just focusing on that, it's going to be a piece of it. We're not just going to focus on that, though, we're talking about a lifestyle of generosity. Here's the model, let me show you what I mean. The model for radical generosity has been given to the Corinthians from Paul, the church of Macedonia. All right, say so they're poor folks, is a poor church, and Paul says this. He starts off right away. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given amongst the churches of Macedonia. They they are poor, but yet in their extreme poverty, they have given an abundance, and they were begging us to give. Look at what it says. In, in, in their uh, extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their floor. For they gave according to their means, and I'd like to testify, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. We didn't expect this. So the thing that they also didn't expect was is that they did not just stop at their finances, but they also, it says, gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. What Paul is saying is they also said, what else do you need? Time. Right? Money is in there. We've given that. But what else needs doing? Right? We need to do some physical labor. Whatever it is, Paul, you've got it. Paul said, I didn't even expect that. He describes their generosity as an act of grace. Right? The only reason that these people are able to act in such a, a generous way, even in their extreme poverty, is, is because of the presence of the grace of God in their life. It's not just that they understand it, but they have experienced it. And it is it's pouring over in this wealth of generosity. It's an act of grace. It's only possible because of God's undeserved gifts in their lives. It's sacrificial. This kind of generosity is sacrificial. They are giving not just the minimum standard, right? They're giving far above the minimum standard. It's joyful. It's joyful. It gives them great delight to be able to be generous. When the elders asked me to preach this series, I was like, no. Because <laughs> it talks about being a joyful giver. And I am more of a reluctant giver. Right? A joyful, joyful giver. With a delight for them to give. It was voluntary. Nobody had to twist their arm. Paul said, this is not a command. Now, this is grace-based giving. It's voluntary. They took initiative. They had eyes of compassion to look and see the need. And when the opportunity was presented, expressing it, they said, yeah, you got it. And whatever else you need, brothers and sisters, do we have this type of generosity in our lives? And I know many of you, and I've experienced, um, and I've been, been benefited by the generosity that has overflowed from you. But this is an area I believe that we can all improve. 
Because when we think we're doing well in one area of generosity, then perhaps we're not doing so well in the other. It was all inclusive. It, was, it wasn't just restricted to money. Whatever you need, Paul, you got it. You got it. What's, what's the key here? Well, Paul has already said it. It's, it's the grace of God at work in their lives. Okay, so we understand that. The motivation for this, the theological motivation for, for a lifestyle of, of radical generosity is the grace of God evident in our lives. And it's pouring over because we know that we do not deserve the good gifts that we have gotten from the Father. And we know that all we have is from Him. We're simply stewards of it. So, we're making sure that we want to give generously. Somebody can just talk. They believe a couple things. It's all cool. They believe a couple things. They know that they have been raised with Christ. Colossians 3, what does it say? If you've been raised with Christ, seek what? The things that are on the earth? No, the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on those things, not on things on the earth. For you are dead. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know why we seek heavenly treasure? Because that's where our ultimate treasure is. Jesus. We are the, we're just a passing through this earth. But these treasures will fade away. So the Macedonians understand this. That they're treasure is in heaven, so they're going to set their mind and their eyes on things above. They understand what Jesus said in Matthew 6. And I encourage you to write this down as notes, whatever, go look at it later. Matthew 6, 19-21-ish. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You've heard this verse over and over and over again, but please, for a moment, let us say that. For what your treasure is, that's where your heart's going. For what your treasure is, that's where your heart's going. Jesus is talking about money here in the Sermon on the Mount. But it applies to many other things. The principle, the gospel principle, again, encompasses our lives. What do you treasure? What do you treasure? It's easy to be enticed by the things of this world, isn't it? John warns us about this in 1 John 2. He says, hey, don't love the world, because all that's in the world is the desires of the flesh, Desires of the eye, or all that be dazzles, one translation says, and the pride of life, the pride of possessions. So it's going to fade away. It's so enticing. So many times our treasure and our time is invested in the treasures that we keep back here on this earth. What do you treasure, brother, this sister? Answer it this way What? are some of your highest priorities in life. And I think you're not going to do this just now. You're going to have to go home and maybe write this out. And I encourage you to do that. What are some of your highest priorities in life? What do you relentlessly pursue? What do you relentlessly pursue? What do you spend your money on? To quote Keller again, he says, 
that if you want to know what people worship, look at they spend their money. What do you spend your money on? What is it easy for you to spend your money on? What do you happily sacrifice for? What do you happily sacrifice for? As I think through these questions, as I think through what Jesus said for your when your treasure is after your heart's going to be, I can't help but think about the character in the Lord of the Rings, Gollum. Right? If you've seen the movie or read the books, hopefully you've done both. You remember that he is consumed with the ring. What does he call it? Alright, I'm not going to do the thing for you. He's consumed by it. We need it. We must have the precious. And you remember the, the end where they're at Mount Doom and there's a fight, right, on the ledge. And if you've just seen the movie, you remember the part there. And if you've read the books, it's the same thing when they're fighting back and forth, Frodo and Gollum to get the ring. And Frodo has lost the ring and Gollum has it. And as he dances around with his precious that he is relentlessly pursued and sacrificed for, and it has consumed him. He slips, he falls. Down into the lava, in the book it says, and you could hear one last shriek. Right? You got it. But at what cost? Right? It ate him up. Maybe you think that's a silly analogy, but many times we act in the same way in pursuit of all precious. What do you relentlessly pursue? What do you sacrifice happily for? What are you chasing? Maybe we can flesh this out a little bit more. So remember again, if, if we believe the gospel, then it will overflow in our generosity. So why is a lifestyle in all areas of our life, why is a lifestyle of generosity seem to be so hard sometimes? Why is it so easy to slip into stinginess or greediness, the opposite of generosity? I think a couple things. Right? So first of all, we'll talk about why does stinginess, let's call it that, why does stinginess get a foothold? And then how does stinginess get a stronghold? Right? How does it slip in? Why is it so easy to fall into? And why is it so hard to get rid of? As far as a foothold, like how does it get a foothold in my life, this lifestyle of stinginess or not being generous in all areas of my life? I think it's two things primarily. I think it's we never consider and we always compare. When Jesus talks about your treasure, where your treasure is there in your parts, we also, also goes on to say, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's saying you have bad eyesight. You're not sober-minded enough to be able to discern the dark crevices of your heart. One of the reasons that it is so easy to slip into stinginess or greediness, where the opposite for you is of a lifestyle of radical generosity, is that you never consider it. You never consider yourself to be a stingy person. Right? I've been a pastor for a while now, and I don't think I've ever had anybody come to me and confess the sin of stinginess. Many other things have been confessed, but not that. This is why Jesus says, watch out for it. This is why he uses money as well, because money just seems to kind of accentuate the things that keep us from Jesus. So he uses that as an analogy. When you look at the uh, rich young ruler in the account of Matthew's Gospel, 
A guy who comes to Jesus and, and I think sincere, genuine desire to follow after him. Like a, like a good dude, so to speak. A great moralistic guy that is really seeking the kingdom of heaven. And, and Jesus, when you ask him, oh, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what are the commands? And he lists all the commands that he's kept. And he says, I've done all these things. But what do I still lack? And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, or if you want to inherit eternal life, you go sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And he says, you went away sad. Because you have great wealth. Now, Jesus wasn't just going after his money. No, Jesus was going after the heart issue. Because for this young man, it wasn't just the comfort that money gave him, but especially in that culture, the status, right? The security that was there for him. It was a treasure in his heart, and he was unable to let it go and to follow God incarnate, right? The word of life is standing in front of him, and he is asking, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, he walks away, because the treasure of his heart was hard. And he was a good guy, right? Never considered, perhaps, that that was an issue. Stinginess slips in because we never consider it. We have bad eyesight. Because we always know somebody that's you know, more extravagant than we are, right? You're always more frugal than somebody else with your money, or your time, or whatever. You can pick anybody. It doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. Doesn't seem to be that big of a bias. So we're always we never consider it, and we're also then always always compare. We never consider it, we always compare. We're always working together. Oh, I know somebody else who is more frivolous with their time. I know somebody else who seems to be more extravagant. Always comparing. This is why. I'll just put a uh, arrow back to last week. By coming to community, by coming to church community is so important. Because when you're trying to rock it on your own, you're always going to give yourself a higher score than you think you, you, know, than you really deserve. We need others to be able to look into our lives and, and point out the areas that we're overlooking. We always think There's a few ways that maybe we are low-key stingy or greedy, brothers and sisters. Choosing a standard of living that does not lend itself to generosity. Do we ever ask the question, should I have this much money? Should I live at this standard? Choosing a job solely based on the paycheck, without considering anything else. What about choosing a schedule of living? Because standard of living, what about a schedule that's always so full that it does not lend itself to generosity? It's your time, your money, and all of your energy is spent in, in all this busy work. Or traveling, is your thing, whatever it may be. And again, is money wrong? No. Is traveling wrong? No. Is a job wrong? No. It's one of those good things become ultimate things. That's what they can become bad things. We usually never consider, and we're always concurring with others. We don't think ourselves. The other reason it gets a foothold is because we think that what we have truly belongs to us. We live in a bootstrap society. It says what you have, you worked hard for, and so what you have is yours, and you don't have to share it. And if those people would just work hard, then they could have you know theirs as well. 
But the Bible also has a lot to say about stewardship. Right? It has a lot to say about being a good steward, the resources that God gives you, and we'll do that next week. All right? What about that? A method for generosity next week. We, we buy into this mentality that what we have, our resources, our time, our money, our house, our car, our family, whatever, it belongs to us because I worked for it. This is one of the problems in the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, one of the main themes was this social snobbery, especially to the poor. They put too much emphasis on, on displays of power and wealth and so on. And one of the reasons for that, one of the reasons they struggled with generosity was is that they were really, really a powerhouse in some of the more visible gifts. They really liked tongues and, and prophecy and so on. They really, really valued eloquent orators and speakers. I think that's why Paul comes in and it's, I mean, it's a lot of guts for him to, to hit him so hard against that sinful behavior because a lot of people think Paul wasn't the greatest speaker. They're really, really good in all these other gifts. But Paul says, hey, you got to excel in this act of grace also, generosity. Great, you're doing good here. But you got to do well in all of them. One of the reasons I think it was hard for them, because they had this mentality, perhaps, that what they had belonged to them. The majority of the people who were in the city of Corinth were liberated slaves. They had been given that area to, to, to do what, what they would, and they raised up a, a powerful city, a, a very prosperous city, and kind of this, well, I've been given this opportunity, nobody given me anything, so I'm pulling myself up by my own bootstraps, so what I have is mine. And their mentality then, though, especially the, those who were professing Christians, to their brothers and sisters, was the same attitude of their, um, the ones who had been enslaved before. But we had ours. A kingdom mindset, but a worldly mindset. We know. As Paul is saying again, the motivation, the grace of God has been poured out to you that everything you have is a gift from Him. Like, 5% will give you maybe, right? But everything else has been given to you from Him. So your time, your talents, your abilities, your brains, whatever it is, it is all from Him. Take all of your resources, take all of your smarts, take all of your abilities and put them in some other time zone, and it's another place in the world, and the picture's going to look far different. But we live in such a culture that says, what is, what is mine is mine because I've worked for it, so I don't need to share it. We know that it belongs to God. And we're simply stewards of it. We are so reliant on Him. Like little Naomi, as she comes home, so tiny, completely, utterly reliant on her parents. That is us before God. Briefly, then, as we kind of wrap this up, it's a foothold in our lives because never consider it, never stop to ask, am I truly generous in all areas of life? It gets embedded into us then because we look and we see other people who are not, you know, being generous either. So that becomes a stronghold in our life. I think it becomes a stronghold for a couple of reasons. So whatever our treasure is, we can focus a little bit more on money again because, because Jesus uses money kind of to bring to the surface what's under in the, in the heart. People just kind of use money as things to, to bring treasure to themselves. How does 
stimulus becomes stronghold. First of all, that treasure gives us a sense of significance. It gives us a sense of significance, perhaps. That thing that we relentlessly pursue, that thing that we often run after, that thing that we were very happily sacrificing for, it gives us a sense of significance. It's easy to give my time, my money, and my energy to a big house in the fluid neighborhood and a nice car if that's what we feel like gives us a certain status and significance. Then we'll find ourselves sacrificing for those things because of the significance that it gives us. Well, the car's not bad, the house isn't bad, the paycheck's not bad. No. Well, under what's underneath is what is bad. It is causing those things to crowd out the true precious, the true gift of Jesus in our life. Perhaps it's easy for you to spend time, money, and energy on clothes, your wardrobe, cosmetics. Perhaps then you value too strongly what other people think of you. We see a lot of this in our social media age. I mean, get this many likes, or this person said this, right? If it's very easy for you to sacrifice for those outward appearance things, perhaps that's the thing that gives you significance. You're like, perhaps I don't care. I don't care about that stuff. I don't care about outward appearance. But if you sacrifice time, money, energy, let's say for books, education, perhaps your significance is wrapped up in people thinking you're really smart. This is why it's helpful to say, well, let's easily spend my money on that I might see perhaps what I wish. Maybe you have an approval item. And that approval item is going to kill the life of generosity. Perhaps the second thing is, is that treasure gives you a sense of security. You're like, I don't care about how it appearances and stuff. Not at all. Like, when it comes to money, I don't care about how I dress. I don't care if people think I'm rich or not. But maybe you like to sock it back in the bank. I'm a good steward. That's a good thing. But maybe it's a control item. It says if there's a recession or whatever happens with this coronavirus thing, I'm going to be secure. We keep it for ourselves. We build bigger barns. It gets a stronghold in our life because whatever that treasure is that rises to the surface, it perhaps is giving me this really big feeling of significance. You know what I struggle with as far as significance? Being a pastor. I love being a pastor. But that's, that's what I get to do. It's not who I am in Christ. I put so much emphasis and energy onto that sometimes that I miss the whole point. Stocking money back in the bank gives me a feeling of security. What people think of me, feeling of security. Brothers and sisters, this is a big deal because as Jesus says, as he kind of closes out this, this exhortation on money in Matthew 6, he says, you can't serve two masters. Right? Like, Jesus is going to have to be the ultimate treasure because you can't serve two masters. And, and if we are not living lives of radical generosity, then we do not understand and believe the gospel. Again, to quote Keller, has much to say about this topic. Every treasure on this earth says, give your life to purchase me. But Jesus says, I am the one treasure who died to purchase you. So we get these footholds and these strongholds and we find ourselves in a lifestyle of stinginess. Perhaps you've gone through a hard time financially. Right? 
And as the, the church wants to rally around you and care for you and love you and help you steward well through those times. Sometimes, though, when you come out the other side of that hard time, it's just easy to say at that level. This is, this is not an easy thing to preach because if I point one finger at you, they're all coming back at me. And I don't know I'm going to be tested on it. We must, if we believe the gospel, cultivate, strive for radical generosity. And it's going to take some hard heart probing to sit down and say, where are my idols? Where are the things that I treasure? They may not seem that bad, you know, it's not big of a deal. You're choking out, perhaps, true joy and true happiness that could be yours. Like the Macedonians who are saying, we have Jesus. And we're going to steward well, right? We're not going to demonize those who have more than us, not at all. We understand it's not ours, we're going to give it all. In closing, let me just encourage you with how to break those strongholds of stinginess. How do we break those strongholds of stinginess? Like, okay, I get, okay, I get that uh, this motivation thing is uh, from Jesus, and I understand grace, and I'm supposed to be able to live lives of radical generosity. But sometimes it's just going to cut it. What you need to do, brothers and sisters, to ponder and meditate and pray for a true understanding of what Jesus has truly done for you. Like we hear it every Sunday, we sing it every Sunday, what Jesus has done for me, and oh, we're overwhelmed by grace. But then does it transform, do our beliefs, what we say we believe in, does it transform to our behaviors? And I'm going to be honest with you, it doesn't for me. All the time. I sing, I raise my hands, I talk about the grace of God, and then I go out and I live in a way that is exactly opposite of my generous Savior towards my neighbors, towards my family, towards my church family. Peter reminds us that you are ransomed from these pure ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. Something far greater Jesus gave to you. Could he have given you wealth and riches? Yeah, he could have. And many people, when he came to this earth, they thought he should have established an earthly kingdom. And they said, well, let me get front in line. But then they kept hearing this thing that he was saying about having to die and how that the first will be last. And how that he had come to serve. And they saw him get down and wash feet. They said, I don't know about that kingdom. Now, all that other stuff comes later, but all that other stuff isn't going to matter. Because if we truly understand the gospel, if we truly believe the gospel and embrace it, and we know that Jesus is the greatest and ultimate treasure that can satisfy us. And so I don't have to find significance in the things that I do or the things that I have. I don't have to find security in those things ultimately. I can be a good steward of them. I can use them for God's glory. This is why Paul got it. He says, I have learned the secret. I've had it all. Right? I've had, I've experienced all these different things and I've understood the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This kind of attitude, he didn't know what to do with the guy. Is it stop preaching or we're going to persecute Jesus? I get to suffer for Jesus. My treasure. And so we'll stop preaching or we're going to kill you. So I get to be with Jesus then. 
He didn't know what to do with this guy. Because his one treasure was Jesus above all things. And so everything else was just icing on the cake. And it was all just going to be counted as loss. If, if, if I can know Christ and him crucified, I'm good. And that seems far and distant and, and, and uh, unrelated sometimes. Let me encourage you, brothers, this is the same God who Paul served and preached, which is the same God who we serve and preach today. His grace is sufficient. You were not purchased with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. As we mentioned earlier in Philippians, have this mind. Please, hear this. Have this mind. Among yourself. Which is yours in Christ Jesus? And the little reason the Macedonians were able to give in such a way is because of the grace of God in their life. And here's the encouraging thing. You have this mind if you're in Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with God something to be grasped, he emptied himself. He on the form of son. Being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient before the death of the death. We practice New Testament grace-based giving here. We practice, practice the same thing at Victory Peak. Practice the same thing at Refuge City. New Testament grace-based giving. Because we see that Jesus Christ is our greatest treasure. The, the Old Testament tithe great. It's a baseline though now for us to gauge our generosity. It's training wheels, as Pastor Matt has said before. What we're striving for is an example that Paul gave of these people who, in a test of affliction, gave beyond what they had and begged earnestly with joy that they could give even more. Why? Because they knew that nothing they had belonged to them and it was all to be stewarded for God's glory and it gave them such joy to each Jesus, praise God, Jesus didn't just give 10% of himself to him. He gave it all. He gave it all. Completely. How often do we live our lives in such a brushing that off? We say it, we sing it, but do we live it? Brothers and sisters, I think this is why Paul is zeroing in on this theme and this emphasis with the church of Corinth, with his friends that he was leaving. Because as people look at our lives, and they see us interacting with each other and with the world in a lifestyle of radical generosity. It will demonstrate to them the most important thing that we can tell them about the grace of God that they don't deserve. That he desires them. So, let's strive to be people of radical, radical generosity. I am not perfected this, so I need your help. And help me out. Father, I echo what the psalmist says. Whom have I intended but you? But there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. God, so many times I find my heart here and there. My heart is 
money after other things, and I'm claiming those things as my precious. Relentlessly pursuing them, sacrificing myself for them, because I think they're going to give me some sort of satisfaction. Maybe they give me some kind of security, some kind of status. And the whole time, like the rich and ruler, I'm just completely missing the, the most precious gift ever standing before me saying, hey, give that up. Give it up. It'll ask you to sacrifice for it, but I have sacrificed for you. Come follow me. I'm going to be able to say that the song is like, my flesh and heart and fail. That God is a good strength of my heart and, and my portion forever. If you are all I get, it is far more than I can ever imagine. Help us at Refuge Church to be known as a people who are radically generous. Not just they are generous, but radically generous. These people, they, they give and they give and they give their resources, their time, their energy. They give. And it demonstrates, I pray that it would demonstrate those around you, radical generosity the good God is. We need your help. And you need your working in us, even in spite of us. All be your glory, Jesus.